0: Welcome to the Live Loved Podcast, where relationship expert and certified coach Alexander James teaches you how to rewire your brain to create extraordinary relationships using his definitive blueprint for love. And now, here's your host, Alexander James. Well, hello, and welcome to the podcast. Happy Saturday, everyone. It's a Saturday when I'm recording this and because it's saturday i've been thinking a lot about back when i was out on the dating scene and actually before that even in college as well about how saturdays were such a mixed bag for me so i would usually wake up filled with a mix of anxiety and excitement and probably a little bit hungover too uh, mostly because i had usually gone out the night before to a bar or a club and if it was a good night quote unquote Then I might have exchanged numbers or social media pages with somebody who I thought was cute. Then I would proceed to spend a good portion of the day on Saturday obsessing about when I was going to hear from him. As the hours would pass, and if I hadn't heard anything, I'd just go into my mind. I'd start playing our conversations back. I'd be thinking about the moments that I might have impressed him or possibly when I might have said something unfunny or uncool. So that's if I didn't hear back from him. If I did hear back from him, there would be like this quick little spike of elation, and then it would be followed by an immediate descent right back into worrying. I'd start thinking, why is he texting back so slow? Maybe should I slow down? Mm, Maybe he just like doesn't get my sense of humor. Maybe he's not the one. Maybe I shouldn't keep texting at all. Or maybe I just need to get a little bit closer. Maybe I should ask him out on a date. Is it too soon for that? what did he mean when he just sent me an emoji back? Ugh, how, do, how should I respond? At which point I'd usually proceed to reach out to my network of trusty relationship oracles to try and decipher the meaning of whatever text I'd received from him uh, and see if he and I would have a future together. <laughs> so that was my Saturday if I'd had a quote-unquote good Friday night. If I hadn't met anybody, then my attention would be focused on what was happening tonight. Where would we be going out? Would any of the guys that I was obsessed with be there? And yes, I just used the word obsessed and I'm pretty sure I meant it. And then I'd be trying to figure out what to wear based on who I thought might be there. What would they think of my outfit? I'd start stressing about how I could fit a work in right before I went out so that my muscles would be all pumped. And mind you, at this period of my life, I didn't really have muscles, so it's kind of funny to think about that that's what I was worrying about. Um, But that didn't matter because I was still feeling anxious about how it would look and I would spend hours mentally fantasizing about how the night might go and what I might say if the guy I liked was there. Or maybe I'd be in a fantasy about if I met a handsome stranger and he swept off my feet or I'd go into a place of worrying. What would I do if I ran into one of the guys I was mad at who had broken my heart or somebody who had stopped texting me out of the blue? So that would be my weekend. And then inevitably Monday would come and I would still be in just as much uncertainty as I was on Saturday, except that now the weekend was over. And so I'd lost all my hope of being able to go out and meet someone new. So instead of anxious and hopeful, I was just anxious and disappointed. So the reason I went off on this tangent is because I know that some of you are having the exact same kind of experiences on your Saturdays. You spend a lot of time in your fantasies about meeting Mr. Right, or spend time second guessing what you think you should say. And despite all the effort you put into moving things in a certain direction in your love life, you seem to stay in the same cycle, the same relationships, the same kinds of men, the same uncertainty or overwhelm with your love life. And so that's what I wanna to get to the bottom of today in our podcast. Why is it that despite our best efforts in love, we keep coming up short-handed with our results? Especially when we can look around us and we see people who we think might not even have as many attractive qualities as us, and yet they seem to manage to create love with ease. What's making it so hard for us and so easy for them? So that's the question I wanna answer. But before we hop into that, I also want to mention that I have an amazing gift waiting for you at the end of the podcast. It's the holidays and I'm feeling a little generous. So make sure you keep your ears perked for it because it's something that you will not want to miss out on. So if we go back to talking about love and relationships, I recently put a call out for questions on Facebook. I love taking questions from my readers and the people who follow me on Facebook and doing my best to answer them. And I recently received a question that was five words. It said, why is love so hard? Now, my guess is that the person who wrote this was actually not serious. It felt like they were kind of half joking, half frustrated, maybe trying to be a little bit of a smart aleck. But this is actually a brilliant question. Why is love so hard? A lot of people do believe that really love is really hard. So it got me thinking and I had a huge eureka moment. What I realized was that everyone who I've ever worked with has asked me some version of this question. Why is it so hard for me to create a long-term relationship? Why is it so hard to find a good guy? Why is it so hard to get over your ex? Why is it so hard to find someone who likes me? Why is it so hard to make love last? All of these questions are some form or another of the question, why is love so hard? So in thinking about this, I had a little epiphany. And the epiphany was that if you're asking the question, why is love so hard, then you obviously don't know the answer. And if you don't know the answer, you have no idea what's the thing that is causing love to be so hard for you. If you don't know what's causing love to be so hard for you, that means you don't know what the problem is. And if you don't know what the problem is, then you can't solve the problem. You following me here? When you ask why is love so hard, the thing that's making love so hard is not knowing what's making love so hard, right? So to put into an analogy, I used to have a motorcycle. And every time I would take it into the repair shop, which was often, because I did not know how to take care of it, I would watch the guys in the shop work on it. And I realized that 70% of their time was spent just figuring out what the problem with my bike was. They would see the issue, let's say the braking was soft, And then they would have to go through an extensive inventory of possible causes before they actually solved the problem. They had to see if it was the brake fluid or if it was the brake lever or if it was the actual brake themselves. And then they might have to go and see if it was also an electrical issue or if it was technically a parts issue before they could even start doing their work. They had to figure out what the problem was before they could solve it. This is the perfect metaphor for why so many of us struggle in love. Because let's say if I went to a mechanic and I told him my braking was off and he was a bad mechanic who only knew how to replace brake pads and he did that, but that the brake pads weren't the actual problem, then my brakes still wouldn't work the way I wanted them to. And then if I took my bike back in and I asked him to fix it again, and instead of looking at everything that was going on in the bike and doing an inventory like the other mechanics did, he just replaced the bike pads again I'd be in the same position that I started, with a motorcycle that didn't brake properly. Now, this is because you can't solve a problem until you know what the problem is. That's the reason why the question, why is love so hard, is actually so brilliant. Because once we can answer it, we know how to start tackling the problem. So that is what we're gonna get clear on today in this podcast, is what the exact problem you're facing is that's making love so hard, so that we can solve for that and make love easy. So here's what I wrote back to the person who messaged me this question. It's short and simple. I said to him, your brain is a Tesla. Now, we all know that Teslas are cars with self-driving capabilities. So with the Tesla, you can plug in the coordinates and it will leave the garage, it'll pick you up, it'll take you on the highway, it'll drive you to your destination, and it can even parallel park without you ever having to touch the steering wheel. Wherever you program a Tesla to take you is where you end up. Now, the reason I wrote that your brain is a Tesla is because our brains work the same way. Our brains are supercomputers. They have entire systems and networks that direct our behavior and relationships the same way a Tesla does. Now, I went to a seminar last month on the neurobiology of human behavior, and I learned something about humans that I found really surprising. I found out that when we're born, Human babies have the least developed nervous systems of any animal on the planet compared to their adult's counterpart. So most animals are born with pretty developed brain systems. For instance, spiders are born knowing how to weave webs and foals are born knowing how to run. This is what scientists call innate behavior. It's the instincts that an animal is born with or its reflexes. Now, human babies, on the other hand, don't know how to do virtually anything when they're born. They can't weave webs, and they are not born knowing how to run. (laughs) They do have two innate behaviors. So the first behavior is to grasp something when it's put into a baby's hand, and the other is to suck on anything that's put into its mouth. This actually makes a lot of sense and explains why almost all small children like to carry around a blankie and suck on their thumbs. It's just instinctual. So these baby brains are sort of like a blank slate. And every other activity or behavior that babies grow up into adults and learn how to do has to be learned and mapped into the brain. So a baby's brain development is on steroids for the first years of its life as it's learning to do everything it needs to do in order to take care of itself. For birth to age three, a child grows 700 synapses per second. And it spends the rest of its childhood growing trillions of synapses. So literally what this means is that all throughout our childhood, our brains are taking in information from our surroundings and then mapping it into our neural pathways. Neural pathways are just patterns of neurons in the brain that fire to produce a certain result in the body. So to lift your finger up and down, a certain neural pathway will fire and it'll produce the result of your finger lifting and then going back down. Once you've done this enough time, the behavior becomes automatic. That's why you don't have to consciously think about moving your finger up and down, or walking, or positioning your tongue behind your teeth every time you go in to make a TH sound. It's because our neural pathways for those activities are so well established that they don't require conscious thought. Now, This is important to know when it comes to love, because it just so happens that this period of our life, when our brain is programming everything we're going to need into our minds, is also the time period that we're most dependent on our caregivers. Now, our brain only has one job, and that's to keep us alive. So in childhood, the brain's highest priority is how to secure the love and affection of the people who are responsible for keeping us alive. And depending on who our caregivers were, our brains might have learned different things about how to keep them close. So for some children, crying got them the care they needed. For others, it was acting adorable that would put them in the good favor of their caregivers. For those, it was being funny. For some, it was being obedient. And for some, they even learned that praise would be received through accomplishing and making their parents proud. Whatever it was, this winning strategy became mapped into that child's brain and it stays with them throughout their life. This is their blueprint for love a set of strategies and behaviors that our brains learn to use in order to construct relationships where our needs get met. But a blueprint is only a blueprint if we can consciously look at it. When it's unconscious, which is how it is for most of us, I refer to it as our autopilots. And so our brain, in many ways, is on autopilot in our relationships following these blueprints that we're not conscious of. This is because we've been practicing these neural pathways from the time we were born. They're deeply ingrained into our subconscious. And this is where it all starts to cause a problem for us in love. And the problem is, is that we didn't program our autopilots. We're not the ones who put the coordinates into the GPS. So what's programmed us and all of our behaviors in love and relationships is the collection of experiences we've had in relationships up to this point, especially those in our childhood when our neurobiology was forming. And because our brain knows how to create those relationship dynamics and has a set of subconscious strategies for how to create them ingrained in us, we end up recreating those relationships without even realizing it. So in other words, our past experiences become the coordinates that are always in our GPS. Now, this is fine if you're one of the eight people in the world whose childhood and adolescence and teenagers were perfect and you never experienced any form of rejection or emotional wounding, but if you're listening to this in 2018 and you're a gay man, you have experienced both. And even if the rejection wasn't blatant in your immediate family, which even the most perfect of parents will still fail to love us perfectly, you have to take into account that we live in a heteronormative society that classifies any non-heterosexual relationship as less valid. That's also a feeling that gets mapped into our love blueprints as gay men. Feeling inadequate, feeling less than, feeling not good enough, feeling as though we have to compensate for some perceived flaw that we have with our good looks or our impressive career. All of that is just programming. None of it is real. Have you ever noticed how straight men don't worry about how they look in a Speedo or if their eyebrows are asymmetrical? That's because they're not trying to compensate for being gay by being perfect. And the only reason gay men feel any need to compensate for anything is just because we've been brainwashed into thinking that we're somehow inferior to other people based on our sexual preference. If we go back to the example of the child creating strategies to be loved so it be cared for, as gay men, the shame that's placed on us by society for being gay is what creates this hyper response to seek validation in our love blueprint. If being gay will push you down the social ladder, then we come up with strategies to compensate for that by some somehow by having an eight pack or dating models. So I, I kind of went on a tangent there for a second, but ultimately we have all of these experiences that form our unconscious autopilot, which become our GPS coordinates. But the thing is, we don't know that we're on autopilot, and we don't know how to change the GPS. So we keep creating the same relationships because our Tesla brain's on autopilot and it keeps driving us to a destination we don't want to go to. Imagine if you got in your car and you started driving to LA and you are excited and you would packed your bathing suit and your beach towel and your sunscreen, and then eight hours later you looked out your window and you saw that you had ended up in Iowa. That is what being on autopilot is like. It's the same frustration that a lot of my clients express to me about their love lives. Many of the people I work with will get into relationships thinking that they're directing the wheel and driving where they want to go, but in reality, their autopilot is on in the background, overriding their conscious input. So even if they set south for LA and they're totally sure about the relationship that they want to create and that they're going to do it differently this time, Pretty soon their Tesla brain is gonna redirect itself according to its original programming and land them in the same cornfield and Iowa did last time. This is the perfect analogy because so many gay men I speak to say that things always happen for them in a certain way when they go to date or to create a relationship. They'll say that they always get an abandoned, men only use them for sex, they repeatedly get ghosted, they date men who won't commit, They can't maintain a relationship for more than a few weeks or months. They go all in and then they realize that their partner is only lukewarm about them. And because they don't understand that they have an autopilot, they just chalk it up to bad luck or that all men are trash. So if I'm coming back to this Tesla metaphor for a second, your results in your relationship are like the destination that your autopilot is set on. So if you're constantly finding yourself dating the same kinds of men, encountering the same kinds of problems in your dating life, or if you have a story that that's just the way love and dating goes, that's actually your autopilot driving you to the same spot over and over and over again. It's not bad luck. It's not how love just goes. It's the relationships that your brain knows how to create and is creating without you realizing it. Imagine if somebody told you not to get in a car because all car rides end in Iowa. You would think they were insane, right? but people all around us warn us that love hurts or not to trust gay men or that happy relationships are just a Disney fairy tale or that monogamy is impossible. And when someone says those things to me, I immediately know that they've never had coaching and that they've never done thought work. In fact, when I first coach someone, I'll ask them why love has been hard and then I'll see what their brain comes up with. If they haven't had coaching, they won't know yet that it's their brain that's creating their relationships And so their knee-jerk reaction will be to blame some external circumstance for them not having the relationship they want. They'll say, well, I'm just not handsome enough to be boyfriend material, or guys never hit on me, or my last ex fucked me up, or I'm not outgoing enough, or gay men just don't know how to emotionally connect, or I can't find guys that are at my level spiritually, or I'm just not into the scene, or I'm too femme, or nobody wants a monogamous relationship, or nobody wants an open relationship. They'll think that the relationships they've created are due to how the world and other gay men are rather than how they are but occasionally i'll have someone come to me who's had coaching before and i'll know they've done thought work because they'll say you know i keep choosing relationships with men who are selfish or i've noticed a pattern of feeling guilty anytime my partner's unhappy or my last three relationships have gotten just to the brink of commitment And then I've emotionally disengaged and sabotaged the relationship. And the way that these signal to me that they've done thought work is that everything they're saying takes some form of ownership over how the client is creating the dynamic. I'm just attracted to the wrong guys, right? Something I hear a lot. But our attraction is directly connected to who our blueprint can create the dynamic it knows how to work best with. That's what fuels your attraction to someone else. It's blueprint compatibility, not necessarily compatibility with you or your values is what's driving us towards that attraction. It's that they're compatible with your blueprint and the subconscious ways your brain knows how to bring those people close. Your wiles work on them and their walls work on you and you both feel this huge surge of attraction until you realize you're dating your mother in a male body. That's why so many people end up in relationships and then realize they've been dating a carbon copy of one of their parents. It's because their blueprint was formed to interact with the blueprint of their parent. If their parent was hyper-responsive to neediness, then they learned to act helpless in order to get what they wanted. So when that same person goes out into the world to find a partner, they're going to go out and subconsciously be enacting neediness as a part of their seduction strategy, the damsel in distress, if you will, and they'll attract a codependent smothering partner who wants to fix all their problems and rescue them just like their mother did. So this is why I call bullshit when someone says to me, oh, I just keep meeting the wrong guys. The problem is never that you keep meeting the wrong guys. The problem is that you keep giving them your number. And the reason you keep giving them your number is because you're on autopilot. To get even clearer on what loving on autopilot truly means, I looked up the definition of autopilot for this podcast. And I found out that the slang meaning of autopilot in the dictionary is out of habit. So when you're loving on autopilot, you're loving by habit, not by choice. You're just showing up to your relationships in the same unconscious patterns that have become a habit for you. Now, I worked with a client who was a really clear example of how our love blueprint as children goes on to create our autopilot as adults. So in this example, both of his parents were addicts. One was addicted to alcohol and the other was addicted to gambling. Sometimes there was money and sometimes his dad had gambled away all of the money and there was no food. And so what he learned at a young age is that people are unpredictable. And from having people are unpredictable wired into his base biology, he came to the subconscious belief in his adolescent life that you really can't trust anybody else to take care of you. As he grew up and he became more independent, He started to believe I can take care of me better than anyone else can. He became super independent and autonomous and he created an entire life based just around this belief. He started his own business so he didn't have to depend on a boss. He distrusted the Western medicine system and so he took it upon himself to study and administer his own holistic medicines. He even became his own spiritual advisor using a mix of Buddhist meditation and energy work. He trusted no one to support him but himself. Then when he finally came to me, it was a huge breakthrough for him to even admit that he needed any support at all. His life worked moderately well, but when it came time for him to go out into the world and find a partner, his belief that he couldn't trust anybody to take care of him caused disaster. Deep down, his autopilot was still running. And what it was saying was when other people take care of me, I get hurt. So even though he consciously thought and said to me, oh, it would be so nice to have somebody who I can share my life and responsibilities with, his autopilot was saying, if I depend on anyone, I'm gonna get hurt. So this meant that having conversations with the guys he dated about what he wanted or needed was not even an option that was on the table in his mind. In fact, one of the things that he bragged about in our sessions was that his partners never saw him as needy. He was always the hero and he thought that this was one of his sexiest qualities. When his partner would ask him about his feelings or the status of the relationship, he would feel annoyed and start to feel smothered. It was so intolerable to him that anyone who even offered to take care of him in any way was immediately chopped from a second date. The way this pattern worked was crystal clear to me, even though he couldn't see it at all. First off, he would filter out caring men from his dating pool, He told me that he found them unattractive and needy instead he chose men who made him feel like a hero usually self-centered victims that were so embroiled in their own drama they had no time to think about what he might need he was attracted to these kinds of men because being around them made him feel powerful the weaker they were the more of a chance he had to prove his autonomy to himself in his mind autonomy meant safety growing up So being in relationships where his independence was highlighted heightened his emotional experience of security and power. So he was continually choosing these victimized men because they allowed him to experience himself in a way that made him feel totally lovable, totally safe, totally powerful and taken care of. But to make matters worse, even when he did need something from his partner, which he went to great lengths not to, something like a glass of water or a piece of information, He would pretend that he didn't. So he would just go to these great lengths to hide from his partner that he might need something from him. He wore his facade of self-sufficiency like a badge of honor. And so what happened was in the end, his belief was confirmed. He could take better care of himself than his partners could. But this is only because he was fishing for the most inattentive men and then hiding his needs from them. Then he would come into our sessions and he would throw his hands into the air while he complained that nobody could take care of him and that everyone was unreliable. His love blueprint became a self-fulfilling prophecy. He was always ending up in Iowa. And that's how loving on autopilot operates. If your coordinates are, I can take better care of me than anyone else can, then you'll always be subconsciously driving towards creating a relationship that creates that experience for you. Until you address your belief blind spots, you're going to end up in that same painful, unfulfilling corn patch every single time. So now that you know and you have some faulty software operating in the background, I want you to take a second to think about what your pain patch is. Where does your autopilot continually have you driving towards? Is it relationships that start hot and heavy and then crash and burn? Is it men who don't want the same level of intimacy that you do? Or is it dating situations where you're caretaking your partner's feelings constantly? Or scenarios that always end with you getting abandoned? Or maybe it's relationships where you're always trying to earn your partner's love or settling for whatever comes along or just never truly feeling that deep love and intimacy that you want in partnership. No matter what it is, I have good news for you. And it's that you can change your autopilot. You can go back into your brain and consciously rewire your love blueprint. That's what thought work is. It's what I did when I sat down with a coach for the first time. We spent week after week uncovering every aspect of my subconscious love blueprint, which for me was earth shattering, because at the time I had no idea I'd been creating my own results in my love life. But once I realized what was creating my results and where my GPS was set to, it helped me to look at every single thought that formed my old love blueprint, pick out the ones that weren't serving me, and consciously create an entirely new blueprint. Going through this was literally better than every Christmas and every birthday gift I've ever received combined. Because once I knew in my bones that my love life wasn't up to the whim of chance, and that I wasn't hopeless, and I just didn't have extraordinary bad luck, but that what I had was the ability to choose, and that I could choose the love blueprint that I wanted to create, that I could choose to do that thought work and to rewire my brain, that I could choose to show up to my coaching work in a way that made me start feeling attracted to amazing high caliber men and totally disinterested in the players that I had been dating. Once I knew that, I felt so free and so empowered in my love life. I felt like I had hit the lottery in love. And once I went through the process of resetting my autopilot towards loving, sexy, adventurous relationships with men who challenged me and cherished me and wanted to grow with me spiritually and connect with me emotionally, I was released from living, living the rest of my life fearing love and fearing that I would get hurt again, and instead I got to start enjoying all of these incredible high-quality connections that I was at- attracting with attractive men. Once I was able to see what was making love so hard for me, I was able to jump in wholeheartedly to fixing it with ease. And what surprised me about this process the most was how my attraction shifted. There's one guy in particular, actually, that I had had this on-again, off-again thing with for about five years. He was super flaky. And he never showed any real interest in me, but then sometimes he would show up out of the blue and we'd have this intense, like, earth-shattering soul connection. And I would always spend all my time fantasizing about the day that he would just choose me and we could be together forever. And then one day, he sent me a message out of the blue, as he always did, but this time it felt totally different. It was like, I was reading his message and I couldn't stand him. And it it threw me off because I had been telling myself for the longest time that he was my soulmate and he was just being afraid of being in his true soul union with me. And that one day when he had done his growth and I had done my growth, we would come together and like create this incredible relationship that had been going on for lifetimes. And in that conversation, like texting with him a little bit, I was just like, oh my God. He's just selfish and self-absorbed and he's inconsiderate of other people's feelings. And I felt no attraction for him whatsoever. It was crazy. And my thought work had progressed. It was almost as if my internal compass within me shifted. So anytime I started heading in the wrong direction or falling into an old pattern and patterning, my new GPS would just redirect me. The relationship just wouldn't feel right. It would feel like a sweater I had outgrown, and I would course correct toward the relationship I did want immediately. And I just had this access to this inner guidance that was like always leading me towards incredible relationships. And so the reason I'm sharing my story with you is because if someone with as much of a dumpster fire of a love life as I had can do this work and get to where I've gotten, it will absolutely work for you even if you've never had a boyfriend or you're always getting into dysfunctional relationships. Now, if you're listening, then you're probably wondering what the best way for you to get started taking your love life off of its old autopilot is. And what I always recommend for anybody who's just beginning this work is to start learning as much as you possibly can about what's in your current blueprint. Because anything that's in your current blueprint that you aren't aware of is your blind spot and is your autopilot. So in order to get you off of autopilot, we need you to gain as much awareness as possible as quickly as possible, because you can't change what you can't see. And here's what I'm gonna give you as my gift, is that in order to help all of you with this, I've taken the blueprint tool that I use with my clients and I've put it on my website for anybody who's listening to Access for free. So what this is, it's an in-depth psychology questionnaire And based on your results, you receive a PDS that gives you access to knowing everything that's in your love blueprint. It's sort of like a Myers-Briggs personality test except for love. And what you find in each of these are all of your subconscious desires, patterns, and beliefs that have mapped into your subconscious love psyche from your childhood and how they're manifesting in your actions. I remember when I saw mine for the first time, my jaw dropped and it was like spooky how spot on it was. I like could not believe. I literally remember texting everyone I knew being like, oh my God, you have to take this. This is incredible. It was just dead on. And once you have yours, you'll be able to have more clarity into your subconscious love psyche than you've ever had before. And that awareness is what starts to set you free from enacting these old patterns. And as an added bonus to this PDF that I'm going to give you, I'm also attached a free mini coaching session. It's written and it's at the end of the blueprint so that you can get started seeing the real transformation into your relationship today. So all you have to do is go to my website is wwwalexanderjamesspace backslash quiz and you'll be linked directly into it. And I don't actually know how long I'm going to keep this as a free material. I just thought it would be the perfect thing to offer considering that this was the topic today. So definitely take advantage of it while it's free on my site. I actually used to offer this as a $200 one-off session for my clients, but um, I guess it's just the holidays and I'm excited about my podcast. I love giving gifts. So consider it my gift to you to say thanks for being a podcast listener. All right. Well, that is all I have for today. Make sure you hit subscribe. And if you want more love hacks delivered straight to your phone, and if you're feeling generous and in the holiday spirit, take five seconds to review this on iTunes and let me know what you think. It actually does mean a whole lot to me when I see someone has taken the time to review and it helps more people find this podcast and find this work. So I'll see you next week. And until then, be well and live loved. If this podcast is twirling your world and you'd like to use ThoughtWork to transform your love life with me as your coach, you have to come check out the program I created for you. Deeper is a transformational journey where you and I work one-on-one to rewire your brain and up-level your love life faster than you ever thought possible. If dating, relating, and trying to find love has left you feeling alone and hurt, Deeper is the program to give you the most advanced coaching tools to heal your past and create the mind-blowing relationship that your heart is yearning for. To check out more about it, visit www.alexanderjames.space and apply to work with me. It's my favorite program I've ever offered and it will change your life, I guarantee it. So head on over to alexanderjames.space to see how the work I've spent the last decade perfecting can bring joy back into dating and connect you with the man or the men that you were made for. I can't wait to see you there.